0: Welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash Alumni. Cash Alumni is the fastest growing association of professionals in care, health, and education, and we're happy to have you here. This is where you'll hear from specialists and experts from across our network. Let's jump in to this week's episode.
1: I've never met you before because you've been talking to my, my colleague Janet, um, but we have got some cool stuff that we're going to share um on Cash Alumni, which is, I suppose, the purpose of this podcast is to get some nice stuff together to help to share the courses and the stuff that we can help our audience to find of yours. Um So can you, could you start by telling our audience who you are and what it is you do Um and then we'll chat around interesting things like outdoor learning and stuff from there. Is that all
2: right? Yeah, no, sure. Um, so I'm um, Helen Bilton. I'm professor of uh, outdoor learning and play. Um, started life as a trained teacher. Um, so my family were it was either we we were very interested in politics or education. And my uh, and in part I suppose why cash is so important to me and things like the Open University. Um, my granddad was very keen on education that that this was the way out sort of like of of poverty and he was in poverty and he did achieve so my mum was very uh, passionate about politics and education and so you either went into politics or you went into education and so I went into education and I was really lucky the first lecture I had was on the nursery garden from a lady called Jackie Brunner, and I was just taken by this. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, so her love of outdoor play and the nursery garden was the start of my love of outdoor play. Um, And I've kind of not looked back, and I did my master's dissertation on it, and I did my PhD on it, and I've just... um, researched I've written books I've written articles and I suppose the first book I wrote in 1998 was because there was nothing out there that really explained uh, what it was what what this thing was called outdoor play so I tried to synthesize um, kind of all the ideas to do with it Um, and from thence came more picture books because i was i realized that some of the stuff that were coming in in sort of 2000 onwards weren't as um knowledgeable about outdoors and i thought let's try and because a picture can tell a thousand words so it's kind of like well let's do some more picturey books um yeah and 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 so it goes on
1: that's really interesting. Um, I'm a bit jealous because I only really just discovered my my love of the outdoors in my 30s, um, hence the chicken. Um, but um, what is it about outdoor play that, that is so magical? Wow.
2: Um, I suppose the first thing is that pe- children, you can see them just go... And people go... You know, you say, step outside, you know, let's just step outside. And people go... Ah, you know, Um, it's a kind of, I suppose I call it a can do environment. So children, the trouble with the home is that um, parents generally control it. Schools and classes, teachers control them and own them, but nobody actually owns outside. So you can see children go oh, yeah, no, I'm OK. And nobody's going to judge me. Nobody's going to assess me. So there's a big piece of work from Tizard in 1979, which I was really taken by, where she found that where you assess children outside, they actually were more capable than when you assess them inside. So I suppose that's the first thing. So it's just a place where people, children can be themselves. Um, it's, you know, thinking about your you know um the charity it's it's about health it's about education it's about care it's about everything and i'm often saying to people why not go outside why do we have to still keep kind of trying to prove it um yeah I, it's um i mean it, you i mean at the, the minute you know it's really important to appreciate the You know, the natural world, you know, even more so than ever. And outside, you can appreciate the natural world and you can get to know it and love it, but you have to, have to, have to be out there to really love it and know it. And I just, I still marvel. I was looking at some, I mean, it's crazy because we've got things like, you know, begonias out still, which we shouldn't have. But, you know, you look at a flower. Or I mean, the fungi are really um, prominent at the minute, and they, I just look at them and I go, "What a buzz!" You know, it's just you know, shapes, textures, colours, just extraordinary. Yeah, so it's just I love it. I, hard to ex- express it in a few words.
1: And and you say that you still feel like you still have to keep explaining it, or like it, it, suppose like trying to prove that it, that it's magic, or that there's all of these like benefits to being outside. Do you think that's when be- because when people think about outdoor learning, they think about someone someone dressed like me standing in the middle of the woods, banging on a tambourine, like and, and they think about it being this like very hippie dippy, like let's just play outside thing, rather than actually all of the evidence proving that I suppose big children are you know, more able to handle risk and, and, and actually learn lots of things much faster.
2: I hadn't thought about um, hippy dippies at all. I think um, one reason is that outdoors still kind of has to be proved is because we see education as only happening within a walls and a ceiling. You know, when nursery education was set up in 1914 in Deptford in this in England, it was as a reaction to the. Really harsh education that people um, of five plus were receiving, where it was inside, it was rote learning, it was strict and unkind. And M- the Macmillans, you know, said, no, 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 <laughs> you know, um, but there's a better way to do things. And, you know, ch- children can easily uh, learn outside, and you need experiences, like Dewey says. You know, Jerry says, "Give me, don't give children something to learn, give them something to do, and from that doing, they will learn." Um, So no, I don't. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is, and I've I've never been dismissive of of people who don't feel able to work outside. I think there's a fear. I think people think there's something. You know, I'm really angry at the minute because I think people are perceiving there's certain organizations that are suggesting you need a qualification to work outside no you don't it's ridiculous um so there's this kind of sense of of not understanding it knowing it and actually it's much more simple than you think you know it, i say to people what did you and i, I don't always get answers because now younger ch- people don't necessarily won't have necessarily had lots of experience outside, but when you were outside, what did you do? And people say, you know, I rode bikes, I, I climbed trees, I made perfume out of petals and water. Um, and, and, and they smile and they look happy. And what it's about is doing, being physically active, being in a healthy environment, talking to people. Um, learning to get on with other people so it's this kind of really holistic experience but i don't blame people if they don't get that um you know i just try and help people get it and it's not as scary as they think but the important 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 thing to have is the right clothing you must have the right clothing for outside you've got to, you know like today i've got two pairs of socks on You've got to have a coat you've got to have gloves when it's sunny you've got to have long sleeve t-shirts you've got to you know have a hat with a cover over the neck and i think that's something that at the minute we really are needing to try and sort out that people have lost sight of the need for appropriate clothing dependent on the weather Um, and then of course some families don't even have the money for that i mean i I'm writing an article, I'm wondering about just putting in it, actually the government needs to make sure that people have got the funds to to buy the right clothing.
1: Yeah, and do you think that, that the reason maybe that we don't have the right clothing anymore is that we try always not to be outside, we try to avoid, I suppose being in situations where we can't control where levels of comfort like we we'll, we'll want to be warm and comfortable all the time we, we don't want to be in an environment where we don't get to pick the lighting or how it sounds or you know how it feels underfoot or any of those things very
2: true yeah um and I'm, i think we've got too comfortable and we've got too comfortable if you're in a place that's very hot and you have air conditioning and we've got too comfortable if you're in a place where it's cold and you want um heating on Um, So, I mean, when I was a child, we didn't have heating. You you had a fire in the front room and you belted like anything upstairs with your hot water bottle and got in bed as fast as possible uh, to stay warm. So, yeah, I think we've lost sight. I think the car brings its own problems in that people, uh, you know, you see it people dash into the car they if you've, they've got children they dash the children into the car they then drive to the school they sort of chuck the children out um so many schools and settings are now saying they don't children aren't coming to school with a coat or gloves or hat or the right clothing for outdoors yeah. because
1: uh, they are just gone to the car yeah
2: yeah yeah
1: and how how do schools deal with that like if if people aren't sending kids with coats does that then mean that schools lose even the autonomy for like break times like what happens even at playtime when you go into the yard and you you have time that is just yours like how how do you deal with that then well
2: some schools will insist and if people can't afford um, they will have boxes of wellies and uh, coats and gloves and things like that Um, I think you it's where schools are effective with parents is they've told the parents right this is the way we are this is our ethos and one of the things associated with this ethos is that we will go outside every day um and these are the things you will need to do that and and the, and the reason we're going outside it isn't just to have a you know um a free-for-all which playtime can be um i think other schools may Uh, just ignore it and just children get cold which is um, awful or get overheated Um, so there's a kind of you know there's a real important um, you know in schools and settings there is education but there's an incredibly important aspect called care and and they go hand in hand so that's my experiences of, of how schools are dealing with it yeah
1: And and what do you think that like barrier is in terms of like getting outside or it just being like part of our normal, like other than that comfort and, and that like is there a reason that you feel like you have to keep explaining it? Like is there something that, that people just don't understand or that, that, that just doesn't click? Is there a yeah? I,
2: I think <laughs> there's that there is the comfort and it has got worse. So people just want to be comfortable um, and have lost sight of the fact that if, you know, if if you're cold, well, you're going to have to take the things off that are cold because there's no point in putting more socks on if your feet are cold because all you're doing is insulating cold. And I think some of the kind of basic health ideas may have been lost. You know, what you have to do is take your socks off, warm your feet up, put some different socks if you're lucky um to to do that i i think so so there's so there's that aspect i also think that people overcomplicate outside um and you know i've talked to parents where they felt embarrassed and i think because we don't teach much child development particularly in teacher education now it's my amount of child development but parents can get anxious about the behavior of their children outside so you're on show if you're outside so i um a couple of weeks ago there was a mum and two children at a bus stop and they were the children just naturally learn to they just play they're just delightful so the two of them are racing around this bus stop and then racing around the other way now as a parent or a carer you've you've got to be careful that they don't come off the pavement but they weren't yeah they were fine and there was quite a big gap behind the bus stop where they were kind of sort of messing about and stuff but she stopped them and you could sense that she was embarrassed and it was so sad because they were fine They were heart lung exercise going they were smiling they were having fun it was joyous um yeah and i um, and i've you know it, when you've got a youngster you know when when you've got a one and a half year old you can spend 20 minutes on you know 20 meters of ground because the child is is, is you know it's exploring but people i think have lost sight of the importance of that or lacked or lost understanding of things like that because the education system can be so it is so exam orientated and end goal orientated. So, you know, we, you know, over the general... And I, I understand that, you know, back in the 80s, there was this sense that something needed to be done about education and the Callahan you know, debate in 1976. So that's fine. But I think we really need a rethink, definite rethink of education so that people can say... And explain, no, no, it's okay. Don't worry about your child wanting to spend 20 minutes on 20 metres of ground. It's fine. And these are the things that you might like to talk to them about. So when I work with schools and parents, often it's about language. You know, and and if if a child is at a playground, it isn't okay. Yeah, there is a social element for the adults. That's great. But also you do need to help your child understand the language associated with the movement. So as they're going up, you say, oh, you're going up, you're going up higher. okay?" And all right, you're coming down now. You're going to go under there, oh, through there. Because the great thing about outdoor play is that you can link what children are doing with language. And if you ask any uh, early years um, educators at the minute, I think two things that are, have really been badly impacted by um, the pandemic and lockdown is one uh, core strength and physical strength of young children, but also language, because the only way you learn a language is to hear it and to be part of the conversation.
1: That makes loads of sense. Um, I, I like the idea that you know, like outdoor play is, is great because it facilitates other things yeah. happening naturally. Um, how do you feel like that's been shaped by the advent of technology and the fact that when people are outside they might not be chatting to their child as much or like sort of doing that 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 general interaction or maybe they're they're noting down what's happening rather than being present and part of it and doing that sort of like has that changed the way that outdoor education works or changed the way that those skills are built sort of in that interaction. Yeah,
2: and I mean, it's not just me saying it. Um, lots of schools and settings uh, are concerned about the... I mean, you see, can, can see a parent or a carer come to a school or setting, they're on the phone, they meet their child, they stay on the phone and they leave. Um, and i I watch people outside and you think that's so sad because they're pushing a pram the pram is facing outwards so the child can have no conversation with the parent carer there may be on the phone yeah i mean definitely that opportunity to have just chatting time um for some people has has gone and i'm not blaming people i think um all the kind of uh, gadgets that we have unless you're really on it can be incredibly addictive um and yeah even the best of us can be become addicted and you have to kind of become reflective and thoughtful and go hang on a minute i've got addicted to this so i need to stop yeah so and I, yeah and, and again um teachers um, educators are, are saying to me that yes uh, children coming to school who don't have that you know don't, just don't have a vocabulary they don't understand how to use a whole sentence and if you look at say the research from lee in america you know the vocabulary you have at two that's 24 months old is will is a, is a definite indicator of how you will achieve at 11 yeah so that vocabulary at two is so so important and as you said a lovely way you said that about outdoor facilitating aspects of the curriculum i like that i might have to nick that mm-hmm. um it does you know, if, if, if you think, again, I said, don't make it complicated, make it simple. OK, what do we think about when we played outside? It was a social, it was a linguistic, it was an active experience. It's so easy to facilitate language out there in that situation.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, at, one of my, my biggest memories from childhood is going on nature walks with my grandma because we didn't really get the opportunity to do that in the the environment that we lived in. But when we went to grandma's house, she would take it to like pick like pussy willow up on it and fall off trees and, and and put it all in a vase and we would talk through sort of the shapes of the leaves and and draw around them and like that's the stuff that feels a little bit lost. But I do see loads of really good practice around outdoor learning. Oh yeah.
0: This is PodCash, brought to you by Cash Alumni. To level up your skills and career, visit our free e-learning resources. You'll find them under the CPD and Best Practice tab of cashalumni.org.uk. That's cashalumni.org.uk.
2: Are
1: there ways that settings who don't have access to an outdoor space in their setting... to to support more outdoor learning or bring some of that into their space?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, yes. So I think you, again, don't make it difficult. Don't make it complicated. You know, I'm lucky I've got a tree outside my window, but yeah, I've worked in places like London and Hackney where there is not a shred of greenery. Is that wrong? Yes. Do we need to camp for more nature within areas like that? Yes, but it's not coming right now. So the answer the answer is if you really don't have the ratio. But I would I would first of all question the the motivation. So do the staff feel comfortable working outside? Do they understand it? Are they out? You know, do they know you need two pairs of socks, you know, three pairs of gloves? you know i mean i remember margaret um, edgington used to have a picture of somebody in a duffel coat and a hat and you know looking fairly awful and, and she'd go would you like to look like this and um, you know come and work with young children you know sort of thing um so I'd, I'd check the motivation of staff because it can i you know you can put barriers up if 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 you're so inclined. So that would be my first thing. I think don't make it complicated. Just going for a walk. A head teacher said to me last week. Look up look out. You know just get outside. And look up. I mean at the minute. I don't know what it's like in the northeast. But there's a blue sky. I mean for no other reason. It's just really interesting. To look at a completely blue sky. And there's an aircraft going past. Yeah. So make the most of what you've got yeah um so that would be one idea i think if you can't have in and out then make sure that you all go out at some point but give the children things to do um and also what i say to staff is rather than see it as a treat to go out an event to go out a playtime i mean that's the other thing people think outdoor play is playtime there's nothing like playtime Playtimes can be quite horrible you know if you ask a teacher when the best the worst time in a school is they'll go one fifteen when the children have just come back from playtime because all sorts of stuff has happened in an environment where they've got very little to do um, and even though they have great imaginations you know there is a limit to what they can do I find it almost criminal that we still have playtime that was set up in 1860, whatever, um, as a break for teachers. And it's pretty much the same. I mean, it's just archaic. Okay. So where a setting doesn't have, um, is has got problematic ratios, so they can't have in and out available at the same time, I would say don't make outside an event, um, you know, a, 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 a happening, just i would go out first first thing in the morning and if you've got part-time children first time in the afternoon otherwise there's this it becomes a boiling pot as children get more and more agitated because they want to go outside um so so do it first and everybody's out there but everybody's properly dressed everybody you know makes it, it sees it as a simple thing if you have no access then try and find somewhere because there always is somewhere i mean i've done outdoor activities in horrible car parks attached to what we used to have as you know teachers centers but actually there is still stuff you'll still find stuff you're still outside you're still benefiting from the fresh air and haven't we proven that you know what fresh air is quite important to people uh through this pandemic <laughs> oh dear. how long have we been saying that um but they, and you can still find things to do and you can and you can st- honestly, you look on, a, you know, you look in a car park and there'll be all sorts of plants and things just trying to grow. Uh, but there may be litter. Um, OK, so you've got to teach children, you know, make sure they wash their hands, etc. But there there is stuff to do and find out about out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. don't know if that answers it
1: it does yeah um the idea of like that there isn't really a, a barrier to getting outside even if you don't have access to your own outdoor space and sort of making that available I suppose to all children rather than just children whose parents can afford to send them to a forest school where they're going to get loads of like one-on-one attention and oh, absolutely trees and stuff um so outdoor play isn't outdoor learning isn't just for those sort of forest oh, school space nice. it is for for everyone and, and, and something that everybody should be accessing regularly. Yeah. Um, Is there stuff about outdoor learning and, and building that in in the courses that you've put together for future learning?
2: Yes. So the, the two courses for supporting successful learning in primary and secondary schools, and I've put it in both, yeah, we, we talk about um, outdoor education and outdoor play and outdoor learning, Um, And it's the two courses are for support staff in schools, whether secondary or primary, but parents have done the courses and people who are thinking of returning to some form of of education, um, educational setting, have taken the courses and across the world. And because of, I suppose, what I've learned about things like people's attitudes and, and to things like risk um, and and just to aspects of education all of it all of that learning that I've learned over the last 40 years I've kind of put into the to, to these two courses um, for example I've over the years come up against people who've said "Oh no, 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 it's too dangerous outside no, 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 or, you know, um, can't have conquer fights outside, too dangerous. Oh, you can't go outside, there's 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 ice. And they always blame the health and safety regulations. Well, on the Health and Safety Except website, it's archived now, but there was this site called Myth of the Month. <laughs> and they would take something like, no, we didn't say that you couldn't go outside because to play conkers. We didn't ban that. No, we didn't ban children to go outside because of the ice. People's fears are banning things. And it's again, it's working with staff and saying, yeah, I know you're responsible and I know that in theory you could be liable. But okay, let's let's see what policy we can put together to ensure you're as safe as possible. And I've actually seen more dangerous things happen at playtime where and we did a tiny little research project where children were crashing heads and hurting and having to go in because they didn't have enough to do and yet that's allowed but then staff concerned about creating an outdoor learning environment for young children because it was supposedly dangerous so i think people really need to look at the evidence before they make judgments so in the course that i've written for future learn there are There's quite a lot about your own attitude and really reflecting about your beliefs and not trying to block something because you're frightened and dealing with all of that. And then, of course, there's this whole thing of risk. And I don't like using the word. I think if you use the thing like a word like risk, I think as a parent, I would say, excuse me, you want to put my children at risk. So rather than use that language, why don't we use, you know, challenging environments or or adventurous environments or fun environments or something other than that. So again, the power of language is extraordinary.
1: There's there's something in like putting children in challenging environments to help them to learn how to navigate risk, you know, because the argument is, I suppose, that if, if when children are set free. That decide to run into each other and bang heads and spend their play time or their break time, sort of, where we'll put them in that environment anyway, that actually, if they understood the risks or that had those opportunities to do those things in an environment where they were being observed and being supported and that there, there was a staff member there to scaffold that play, that they might choose to spend their break times differently. Well, um, and also
2: stuff different. to do you know i mean the yeah. biggest problem is they just don't have enough to do whereas a school down the road i mean he the head teacher allows children to bring their bikes so that they can use their two wheelers they have uh, carts and trucks and they have wild areas and he's created that within concrete so he's made the op- he said right okay this this is all concrete but we're not having that you know we're going to change this um, and even a tiny, you know, even a tiny space of of wooded area. Now, rather than ban it from children, put some bark chippings down and little paths so that they can go and explore and discover. And um, so the other thing through the courses that we've uh, done is is just say how. I mean, it's, it says primary schools and secondary schools, but it does it can include any any type of setting. Um, it was just that future learn like reasonably short uh, titles to their courses um, but we just said okay well, uh, what can you do outside what things can you do outside as a secondary school what things can you do outside as a primary school and I've, you know just we we posed some ideas and then what's lovely about the future learn course is you talk to other people that are doing the course and the social learning. I. I, you know, I I know people learning from each other is powerful, but I've never seen it happen in action so powerfully as on the future learn courses. It's incredible the way people from all over the world just come together and share ideas and share understanding of their place, their setting, the problems they've got, and then how other people help and try and support and encourage it's just fantastic yeah Yeah.
1: great we saw that Um, we had an event in may around practitioner well-being and sort of reframing practitioner well-being as being a a responsibility um because in my experience you care health and education professionals are great at looking after other people but pretty terrible at looking after yourself. <laughs> um, and when you speak to people about why that is, it's because you're quite far down on your own list. Um, so we're trying to reframe that as actually, like, because of the way that self-regulation and co-regulation work and because of actually how we interact as human beings, if you're not looking after yourself, you're probably doing yourself a disservice in terms of being the best practitioner you can be Mm. and he has all the ways it actually affects you and he has some stuff you can maybe do differently but the most powerful part of that event was that the practitioners who came really turned up to to network and to chat and to talk about their their own situation and their own outlook and things that they could change and people were sharing some like pretty amazing like Mm. ideas in that that conversation that went alongside the event um, and I know what you mean about those sort of um, MOOCs, those massive online courses where people are joining in those cohorts because you get to experience so many diverse viewpoints mm. because people are joining from areas of the world that, that you haven't experienced and where actually the rules are different or the the way that people look after children is different in that day-to-day. Um, so there's so much different practice yeah Um,
2: uh, can i add to that because i you know i'm white i'm a woman i've very much had a white woman's view of the world and western as well and through things like future learn and and in some ways black lives matters has helped has helped enormously it's just thinking okay you know i'm in malawi And education isn't quite as uh, accessible, um, free at the point of entry, all of that sort of stuff. And you kind of never appreciated that people who might come from other countries might not see outdoor play as important. Um, But sort of an awakening of realising that some cultures see, you know, education is, is, is higher If you're in a building with walls and ceiling, if you've got to educate children in your country outside, that's kind of seen as lower. But if you've got a building, walls, ceiling, desks, wow. You know, you've gone up in the world. So it really, FutureLearn, you know, listening, reading people's comments and that has kind of opened my eyes um, about, yes, don't have your own kind of slightly, you know, I thought I was quite broad thinking but you know I, I had narrowed it and 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 they they've taught me the learners on there stuff about their own kind of setting and and where something like outdoor play fits within the system and therefore somebody like me has to make sure that i yeah i do keep explaining it to people um, and it's a bit like play. I mean, some people don't, some cultures don't see play as important. Learning is, is sitting. And, yeah. and again, it's trying to articulate that and continue to articulate it and continue to say, even to the point I had a colleague saying, uh, a um, psychologist who works with children, young children, she has to use the United Nations sort of like right to play f- with some parents to say, I'm sorry, your child has a right. To play. Um yeah. Yeah.
1: But do you know I think the part of that is cause as adults, like I, spent, I think I, I don't know that it's like now more than ever, like we've we've forgot we've forgotten the value of play for ourselves. Like my granddad was always tinkering with something or making something or and, and my grandma was always like like playing with new things, like with like ik, ik crafts or, or in the kitchen or in the in, I suppose in those very very stereotypical you like male and female roles but they were always playing in their spare time and whether that was like tinkering on because in those days nobody else did your decorating for you you did that all it was your expression of your home sort of thing like and so previous generations I suppose had to play to figure things out and we don't so much anymore because we'll just get somebody else to do the things that we don't understand so we've 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 lost the value of playing
2: interesting yeah you're an interesting person you are you're clever (laughs) you should probably be doing this interview yourself to yourself um yeah no i mean it's very true that and i um i mean you know things like obesity we used to have lawn mowers that you had to push you know, physically, they were hard going, you know, and you didn't have sort your core out there doing, you know, doing yeah. the lawn um, if you were lucky enough to have, you know, a grass and a, uh, which we were. Um, yeah, I think we have, and I, and I think the fact that we have some of these extreme sports and then you have, you know, organizations now bringing people together to sew or knit or something, um, or man sheds, all of this sort of stuff. Um, I think that does reflect the fact that we've kind of, yeah, we've lost sight of doing things for ourselves. I mean, you can <laughs> you can buy the the ingredients for a meal, you know, and you get them sent to you, and you just follow the the recipe. You don't even have to go to the shop. It's like
1: yeah. madness. But it's one of those weird things, is that I think it, it's it's really easy to to get things done or to to purchase things from elsewhere and you sort of weigh up that time cost versus the cost of paying for it and the time that you would spend at work and how much you earn and all those things and you go oh actually like that that makes sense because of the time I'm going to spend but we don't factor into that the stuff that we're losing from not doing those things because we think about it as just being actually what I want from this is to have this meal or what I want from this is this particular output. But I think that's because we haven't necessarily taken the time to understand the benefits of playing with it and figuring it out. And that, like, walk to the shop, um, not just from a physical point of view, but, again, that event that we did in May, we had... um, th- There's a gentleman called Dave Wilson who's a Northumberland tour guide but who does a lot of stuff around wellbeing. Um, and he was explaining, you know, that just going for a walk because your brain has to take into account where your feet are going and the evenness or unevenness of the ground and you're keeping your balance and you're doing the things that you're not thinking about that report you've got to get back by five o'clock for that thing that you're supposed to be doing and all of those bits of anxiety sort of disappear for a little while because your brain's doing other and I think, would don't necessarily think about the whole value of the thing would just think about that output um, and that metric so the stuff that we don't measure is often lost Um, and maybe that that's what happened with outdoor play that we don't measure those things so that in those in those cultures where maybe outdoor play isn't valued as much maybe that's because when education was standardized or perceived that actually that stuff just happened naturally elsewhere, so we didn't need to to measure it or to, to put a thing in place for it. Does that make sense?
2: Indeed, and uh, the think the trouble with measuring things and having targets is that things that you don't measure and you don't have a target for get lost. So you know, yeah. we're all going, people are going, <laughs> oh, personal, social, emotional development, well-being, mental health since 89 when the new curriculum came in yes okay there was this there were there, were, there was these sort of very strong vision but and then you know you had the pshe curriculum come in and you had seal come in and all of that sort of stuff but it was always and it still is isn't it it's like sex and relationship education it's still at the kind of bottom and any and supposedly anybody can teach it Whereas not everybody can teach, I don't know, maths or something like that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely think I, I think we are starting to turn a, a corner. And, for example, here, where there's big piece of research going on that is match is measuring and Canada's very interested and ahead of us in terms of outdoor education play. And so Scotland, Scotland's got, you know, a lot happening to do with outdoor education. But here we've got a piece of research that's looking at mental health and adventurous play, or if you want to call it risky play. And what it's saying is that when you when you're out and, and actually outside. And the, I mean, the other thing about outside, it just gives you the opportunity to make a noise, be messy you know all, all of those things that it's not quite as easy to do inside um but the, the, when you let's take a for instance i don't know you're trying to build something with bits of wood planks or yeah whatever or you have a hay bale or something like that um you and it and it drops okay so you've worked out that if you know, if, if you've got something that's standing up like this, and you put something on the top, and the two uprights aren't the, the right distance for the thing you're going to put on the top, it's going to fall through the hole, or it might through, through fall over the side. That it doesn't matter. You just learn, and actually, what you're learning about is maths and science, really important stuff. So then you push them closer together, and you put the thing on top, and it it may fall and it might hit somebody and we hope that it doesn't hurt anybody but if you get hurt you know what getting hurt really means um and it's that kind of uncertainty of doing adventurous play that and you get a bit of anxiety yeah with it you you learn sort of bodily but also mentally It's an okay place to be. It's okay to be anxious. It's okay to be not sure, make mistakes. I'm okay about it because I've just tried again. It didn't work. Just tried again. Did work, for example. Or no, that just is too, you know, I can't jump that stream. That's just not in my comfort zone. Felt a bit anxious, uncertain, but that's okay. I know my limit. Because what the indication is that if you don't allow people, children to have that uncertainty that anxiety when they're younger and not just on a friday afternoon because they've got choosing time or something ridiculous like that but every day having those experiences they then come to adulthood and you know in (laughs) adults, we're faced by a raft of uncertainty and anxiety whether it's i don't know you know whether you can afford something or you can't afford something or um, whether you should get this or that or think something through and if you've built up this kind of strength within you to do with uncertainty you will be able to face it in the future and you know what we're finding at university is that students are coming with with huge anxieties and i can't hand on heart go yep it's because they didn't do outdoor play sorted but my sense is that it's contributed to it, or that aspect of outdoor play where children have to face a problem and see if they can solve it, and and and, and even if they don't solve it,
1: it's okay. Yeah, I've I've got a theory as to why that might be. Um, another one of those, Donalyn, something in that, you know in our grown-up years about our self theories um in the when I got involved with farming um again I, I've very much been a oh I'm not very good at that I'll let somebody else do it and I'll I'll, I'll you know pay someone to do the decorating or do something that is more manual or rather than like figure it out and when I got involved with farming I realized that I couldn't get the lock to close on the gate and um, for one of the fields and I had to what do you do about that if you're the only one there, if you are the farmer, how do you how do you get that gate shut? You can't walk away and leave it because the sheep will all run out. And you can't get someone else to do it because you're the only one there. And the only option is to just keep trying until it clicks. And you keep trying until the lot clicks. And if it takes an hour and a half, it takes an hour and a half. You can't just put it down in frustration and walk away okay, well, I'm just going to have to keep trying and figure it out. That was really hard as a lesson because I suppose you're used to just being able to to give up and to be be better at something else instead. Or to
2: ring somebody. I mean, that's the other problem. You kind of ring somebody. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a fabulous example of what we need to give children experience of day in, day out. And as I say, I think there is a, a slight turning of the liner in that... You know, people are now understanding that mental health is and well-being is linked to how you um, are just as a person. Yeah. Um, and that I don't know that we necessarily need to measure it. We just need to hold it up as as important as literacy and literacy is incredibly important. You know, mm. limits of my language are the limits of my world. Um so I'm not saying it's either or, but I, I do think it needs to be there.
1: But it is much easier to teach children maths and English if they're feeling safe enough yeah. to be able to learn. Yeah. Um. I think wellbeing is in- incredibly important, even if only for those reasons Um. in a school context, but obviously for many reasons besides that. Um, and... I think one of the things that helped me in terms of wellbeing was realising that resilience isn't something that you either have or you have not got. And that actually your school or your employer or your mum or your dad or your carer or whoever it is is just as responsible for your resilience as you are because actually it's about that capacity, that space. So if you've got loads going on, whether they're good things or bad things like you could be less resilient because you've got less space for something else to happen or for there to be something that, that isn't part of that like, contingency plan or something so and it's not something you yeah. necessarily teach either you know <laughs>
2: to, yes. we're going to learn about resilience today we're going to learn about mental health it doesn't quite work like that and I can give you an example a project in Oxford that we did and wrote a book called it exploring outdoors i think it's called three to eleven so it was about this school that just children went they were lucky they did have a little bit of a wood area and they just went there every class went there every week um and we went out Even if it was chucking it down. The only thing that really stops you with children and outdoors or people is if there's really high winds and it's dangerous. And your sixth sense can tell you whether it's dangerous or not. There is just a feeling this is your body just goes. If you've been used to being outside, your body goes, no, this is dangerous. You don't really need the weather forecast man to tell you Um, or woman. Or the other thing is lashing rain um, or very, very extreme cold.
1: But we used to go out we, and I don't think we ever had a day like... I would guess, well, Helen, that your idea of lashing rain may be different to some other people's Absolutely.
2: Ideas. Yeah, true, true. So we went out, but we had the right clothing. We checked that children's feet were warm, their hands were warm, the back of their necks were warm that they were covered up, you know, they had hoods, etc., and they were completely protected from the weather. And what was super about it, even children where, and there, there were some children that clearly had never been out. In the book, there's a young child who's three. I don't think she'd ever jumped. So we worked, well, Anne worked with her to jump just from a hay bough down to the ground and her sense of achievement was just like extraordinary when she managed it without any help but we'd go out regardless of the weather and we kind of made that decision that we didn't we wanted children to see that they not that they could beat the weather but they could work with it i suppose and we used to come back from those really cold wet wet Windy days, and that there was a real sense of euphoria as the children came back in and went, "Yeah, I did it," sort of thing. And it wasn't on the curriculum. We're now going to teach you resilience, children. It, it was just there, and and kind of part of our ethos, I suppose. Yeah. So your idea that you know it's easier to teach this than that, I think it's even. I agree, and I, but I think it's even more complicated than that because in some ways i'm not sure it's teachable in the ways that we think of teaching
1: yeah i think it's that idea that like teaching isn't just the stuff you teach actively isn't it there's a lot of passive teaching goes on in that learning environment that you know i suppose learning rather than teaching expressly um but yeah there's that there's lots of different elements that that, that we could do with re-including in some of the ways that we, we navigate those conversations Helen I could talk to you all day but I know that that's not how either of our working days are supposed to work um so um, can I just add one thing of course I was just about to say so is there anything that that you haven't had the chance to say that you would like our audience to know um or that you think is important to add I
2: don't know if it I mean it's if the the basic um, thing is that I'm, my head goes all over the place, so I suddenly remember things. You asked about people that don't, maybe have an outdoor area or find it, you know, they just got concrete. Don't despair and don't don't expect to have trees and everything else. You can still have, you can still bring logs. You can still, still get things like off wooden offcuts from p- places like you know in queue and home base they'll give them to you but you can also get things like hay bales and if you send the kind of oldest person like so send me and um to a you know a garden center and go oh you know i'm we're poor we're a very nice you know know, children's center or i don't know whatever you know play group or whatever nursery um you know could could would you like to donate some hay bales to us and probably go for hay rather than the straw because hay is softer and, you know, they're about 4 or £5 pounds each, but three or four or five of those in an outdoor area, you know, they don't last forever, but they don't create a very interesting environment um, for children. And then also um, a fantastic... I would never have climbing frames or any fixed equipment in an outdoor area. Just forget it. It's, it causes you more problems than it's worth. Um, and I could go on along about that. But, you know, something like a tree that's felled, if you can get the Forestry Commission or somebody to bring you one, that's absolutely super piece of climbing apparatus that isn't too high. Children have to learn that when it's wet, you really don't go on it because wet wood without a bark is incredibly slippy. But that's fine. They've learned something. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that was just going back to the query about if you've not got partic- you know, if you've just got concrete outside, um, and you you know don't have this beautiful environment,
1: that's been really really great. Um, where can people find the courses? Well, we'll link them in the description. So if anybody just wants to go to the description, they'll be able to find links to find both of the courses. Um, but can you show them through where they can where they can find those so they can?
2: Yeah, find out I mean more? just just Google Future Learn. And then you'd then in the search engine, successful learning, supporting successful learning in schools. And I like the Future Learn site uh, because it's really simple and you can just register very, you know, you don't have to give, you know, 20 minutes of your time to registering. It, it literally is your name, your email, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah. That's where you find them. And we've just won a bid with Future Learn to write a two week course on sustainability, climate change and schools and settings. And I'm it's very much from the outdoor approach. So there's lots of people going on about climate change and you know, and all of that. But this is really okay. And we're outside. So what can yeah. we do?
1: Yeah. That sounds Great. um real same posts to those um is there anywhere else that you wanted to to send anyone
2: um I mean you can talk to me on Twitter I'm I'm not a great user but I periodically say things that gets you know I'm passionate about um I mean if the books will help please use the books um, the website is there but I I really need to update it um, and the other thing is if people want to email me at work that's fine. You know I, I love it when people contact me and say I'm doing this that and the other um and you know I'm writing four books on child development and outdoors and I've just finished the first one on physical development and it's absolutely fabulous when people write and say oh you know I'm doing something really good about dot dot, dot you know and I go right can you be in the book because it's a lot you know it's 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 so nice to be going yep yeah, I can say all this but And here's somebody who's just trying the best they can to do X.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Podcash. If you enjoyed it, please follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can also watch many of these conversations by heading over to cashalumni.org.uk and going to the CPD and Best Practice section of the site. That's cashalumni.org dot UK.